Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Hope you had a good weekend. Got all those clocks changed and your uh, your body clock is changed. And we kick off a new week. And, wow, do we have lots to talk about. Not only the coronavirus, but now the uh, the oil market plunge. We have so much to talk about. We'll be joined later by Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Get his thoughts on the government's response to the coronavirus situation. Also want to get his thoughts on the administration's response to the court ruling on small refinery exemptions to the RFS. They're asking for more time to look at this. Uh, The concern is in the biofuels industry, of course, that they're going to appeal the decision. We'll talk with Senator Grassley about that. And then we'll look at the world trade situation, especially with China, as we'll talk with Jake Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council, and look at the impact of the coronavirus on world trade. So that's all coming up a little bit later on in the program. But we start things off with Spencer Chase from AgriPulse Communications. Spencer, thanks for joining us. I guess we have a few things to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a very, very calm, very rational week uh, in the news, and I'm sure on social media, and nothing but uh, fact-based commentary going to be offered there. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's a little bit of everything out there, all kinds of theories and thoughts. You know, uh, obviously the coronavirus is a very serious situation, but there there also seems to be a certain amount of, of panic and speculation, and uh, uh, some of this is almost overblown in the reaction, uh, and that's not downplaying the seriousness of it, but just the, how the response is, especially in the media in some cases. Well, and, and something that, uh, that just kind of something I heard someone else, a point I heard someone else make. This is really the first time we've had a grand global health scare in the social media era. You know, there there have been other things that have come close, but uh, I mean, you can maybe make the argument that uh, that SARS in the you know in the early aughts was was you know the potential to have this level of an impact. But I mean, really, Twitter was in its infancy at that point. Facebook didn't have nearly the reach that it does now, and so folks have uh, access to way more information now than they ever had in some of these previous uh, outbreaks. And not all that information, unfortunately, is accurate. And so uh, hopefully, you know, the, there's going to be some, some truthful fact-based commentary that's going to be able to fill the void on some of this. But I guess the, the, the main advice I'm being told at this point by, you know, the, the government, by uh, a friend of mine who's a pharmacist, et cetera, et cetera, just, just wash your hands, apparently, is the best we can do at this point. Then the, the drop in the oil market, that's, I mean, that's a whole different story with a lot of different implications there and some... Uh, different things at play there politically international politics are very much a part of this so there's a lot going on there mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's i mean you can open up and check the ag markets this morning too and those are all down across the board as well uh you know the markets decided this morning they were going to take a 15 minute break almost like you're turning off and turning an iphone back on again i don't know if that's going to fix the issue but you know that's that's the procedure that they're going through uh, in market trading right now obviously all kinds of global implications you know, because the oil price is not just paid by American citizens. That's something that's paid worldwide. And so, you know, are there, are there global economic uh, indicators that we should be watching as well? Uh, obviously a lot, a lot up in the air at this moment. So we'll be watching that closely, and we'll be interested to hear from Senator Grassley a little bit later on in our program. I also want to note that Secretary Purdue is going to be back on Capitol Hill this week testifying. And I talked a lot about this last week, um, 
If indeed the administration decides to appeal the Tenth Circuit ruling on small refinery exemptions, it really seems to further undermine the credibility of Secretary Purdue, who's been out there on the stump basically saying we're going to see this big drastic uh, the uh, cut by EPA and the small refinery exemptions. He didn't seem to be in on the loop that uh, an appeal was, was forthcoming. It's, it's really not a good look for the secretary, and I'm, you know, it, it kind of shows again that when it comes to uh, a lot of these issues, we're, we wait to hear from someone else in the administration other than the Secretary of Agriculture. Well, and, and something to keep in mind, too. I mean, obviously the Agriculture Secretary, uh, across any administration, has a, a ventured, vested interest in the renewable fuel standard given so many agricultural products are used to make the feedstocks for these biofuels. But it's technically not the Ag Secretary's program. It, it does belong under the jurisdiction of the EPA administrator. And, uh, you know, with these small refinery exemptions, it's more of a EPA administrator and energy secretary uh, conversation. But, you know, I'm also told that, you know, when, when Purdue made those comments at Commodity Classic, you know, you and I were, were both there and we, we both heard him say it. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily talking out of school. That was kind of the, the direction the administration was trending at that point in time. But... Um, you know, some additional uh, additional conversations were had, and eventually uh, President Trump was convinced that filing an appeal was, was the way to go on this. And now we see over the weekend that the government is asking for more time to file that appeal. Uh, you know, the original deadline is, is today, and so we'll know the court's decision on whether or not that uh, request will be granted here, I would assume, pretty soon here. But, uh, you know, it, like, like you said, that it's a really tough look for the secretary, and uh, it's one of those things that uh, whoever's as we see very frequently, whoever is the last person to, to speak to the president and can do so convincingly will, will typically get their way. And it appears that the oil interests were the last uh, person to have his ear on this one. And you're right about a lot of these things outside of USDA's, you know, uh, outside of their realm of uh, responsibility and authority, which makes me often wonder why does he speak so much about things that USDA really cannot control, but he tends to do that quite often. And which will also bring into question every time he comes out and says, you know, uh, what, less than a 10% chance of MFP payments being made this year or, or those payments are not in the plans for now. At least that's that's a safer statement to say they're not in the plans for now. But uh, I think a lot of people are skeptical every time he downplays the chances of another round of MFP payments. Well, and again, that's something that, you know, obviously he's going to have a lot of input. He's going to give a lot of counsel to the president. But Ultimately, this is going to be President Trump's call on whether or not they're going to issue another round of these payments. Uh, he, he obviously, you know, the secretary obviously has his opinions on the subject. He has not been quiet about them. Uh, he has, you know, said pretty pretty clearly that he doesn't really think that uh, another round of, of payments this year should, should end up happening. But, you know, keep in mind that's something he said a year ago, too. And then there was, yep. the, there was that fateful uh, tweet in late May that the president said there's going to be another program. Um, and so, you know, basically we're, you know, we're sort of in, in limbo in a state of uncertainty uh, on where that program stands at this point. A lot of folks think it'll happen just because it's an election year. But, you know, 10% is an awfully low number for the secretary to go out there and, uh, and just kind of, you know, fire out there. It's, it, it's, you know, he could have easily said 50-50, either it happens or it doesn't. But, uh, you know, 10, 10% leaves, uh, you know, maybe not a lot of room for optimism there. 
yeah, he's been burned enough. I think I, if I were were the secretary, I would be a little more cautious in my projections and predictions on some of these things and qualify them a secretary little more. Secretary Mike Adams, that's a, that's a name I can get behind. Secretary that's, Mike Adams. <laughs> no, I'm not very smart, but I'm smart enough to know I would not want that job. That's for sure. That's a, that's a tough job. Spencer, thanks for being with us. It uh, looks like uh, quite a week ahead. We'll look for the reporting at AgriPulse. Thank you very much. Pleasure as always, Mike. Thanks. Take care. Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Well, we'll talk weather next, some very mild weather across much of the Midwest. What's ahead this week? We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications, and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia herbicide is a U.S. EPA-restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, a lot of us got spring fever over the weekend. Are we going to have uh, some harsh reality anytime soon, reminding us that it's not yet spring? Well, I don't know about that on the temperature standpoint, Mike, if you're talking about things just turning suddenly colder with a blizzard or something like that, a real heavy snowstorm. Uh, that's not really in the cards, but uh, the the ongoing pattern of heavy rainfall in uh, the southern part of the Corn Belt and then through the Delta in the Mid-South is likely to reassert itself this week. And so that's a big feature right there um, because uh, this part of the country has already been soaked and you get farther north, we're going to have uh, temperatures that are going to be more seasonal, still allowing for snow melt. I know that that's causing uh, problems with local flooding and then uh, groundwater seepage damage uh, in the uh, areas where the, the soil is just completely saturated. But as far as adding a whole lot of extra moisture, uh, a whole lot of extra rain or snow, we're not going to be seeing that. There will be maybe some light snow and maybe uh, some mixed precip across the area in uh, the uh, northern part of the Corn Belt, uh, north of Interstate 90. But uh, otherwise, uh, we're not looking again at uh, just a uh, quick change to real bitter cold conditions. And I think that certainly is going to be a benefit because the the northern part of the country obviously has got to get through this uh, real saturated soil moisture uh, situation. And if it's going to start... It might as well start now so that maybe there's a little bit better chance at being able to get into the field later on without a whole lot of chronic delay like we had last year. Yeah, it needs to happen, so we may be better off to get an early start on it. So no major storms brewing at this point? Well, not not over the, the northern and north-central part of the country. Uh, now, the Delta 
uh, and the Mid-South uh, are going to see a series of pretty heavy rainstorms this week. And in fact, the, uh, the uh, eastern Pacific Ocean is going to be pretty active in kind of being a continual uh, source of uh, some pretty strong upper air disturbances that are going to track, you know, out of Southern California and Arizona northeastward into uh, that uh, southeastern plains, uh, Delta, Ohio Valley, eastern Great Lakes uh, corridor. And uh, so that's where the, um, the uh, rainstorm potential is going to be pretty high. And again, uh, the, the rainfall totals are going to be uh, pretty heavy um, in that, uh, that section of the country because uh, we're going to see anywhere from two to five inches of rain during the next seven days in that uh, Memphis area, south toward Greenville, Mississippi, and then uh, eastward uh, into the Nashville area, Cincinnati, north uh, toward uh, Cleveland. Uh, that's with a little bit lighter rainfall, but from the Ohio Valley south through the Tennessee Valley, they're going to be pretty much in line for that real heavy rainfall. The recent tornado that hit Nashville reminds us of the always the potential of of these storms and this devastating weather, so we have to be on the watch. Well, definitely so, and there could be some severe weather elements uh, that, that become a, a part of things. I mean, it was just a week ago that Nashville uh, just got torn up by that uh, round of tornadoes that uh, moved through the uh, central part of Tennessee. And uh, with the kind of energy that we're going to have, uh, that is certainly not out of the question at all, along with the potential for heavy rain. So it's a rough week in store for that Mid-South, Southern Midwest area. And again, farther north, uh, we're going to be on the periphery of that. Uh, the, the damage that we are seeing here is, again, just the uh, residual from uh, the overloaded soil moisture profile that we had going into this year. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, here we are now working our way in, you know, second week of March. So spring planning in the Midwest, not that far away. But I guess we can also start maybe doing that comparison to a year ago. Where were we a year ago? We know how late things were. And, and uh, it's one thing to compare where we would normally would be, but we, this year we may be comparing to where were we a year ago. Well, a year ago, this week, was when the bomb cyclone hit in Nebraska and uh, Iowa and uh, caused the, uh, the, you know, just the cataclysmic uh, round of flooding that pretty much uh, then repeated itself across the entire central part of the country all the way through the spring. And uh, this year, we don't have that uh, set of conditions in place. We've obviously had a very mild weekend. And uh, there's been quite a bit of snow melt. Uh, the snow cover right now is focused mainly in the far northeastern plains and in the northern Midwest, whereas a year ago uh, there was snow cover all the way south, clear into the central plains, as well as uh, frozen river systems that had uh, extensive ice cover that was prone to uh, causing ice jam flooding if it melted quickly, and we saw that. So uh, it's just a lot different uh, uh, situation right now, a lot different setup than a year ago. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have delays, we're not going to have a slow start, and I think we're on, on track for that but I, at this point, at this point, I think that the majority of uh, row crop planting is likely to be done before the end of May. And a year ago, that 
you know, was certainly uh, not a part of things at all with uh, how late things were. But I, I still don't think that we're just going to be ideal because uh, we know that there's an awful lot of uh, wet ground that has to be kind of mellowed out a little bit before we can get a lot of work done. All right, let's look to South America. What's their weather like there? Uh, the uh, pattern is turning wetter for Argentina this week, especially. Uh, they could see one to three inches of rain in central Argentina. Still useful moisture because the uh, corn and soybeans are, are still uh, needing a little shot in order to kind of fill out uh, for their crop this year. And uh, farther north in Brazil, there's going to be a few showers crossing uh, Rio Grande do Sul in the southern part of the country. But uh, whether uh, those rains are going to be too late is a real big question because uh, it's been hot and dry in southern Brazil to the point that there's some comment now that uh, the Brazil soybean crop might actually be uh, kind of whittled back a little bit from around 125 million tons to only only about 124 million tons. Still a, just a terrific crop. And uh, in central Brazil, uh, harvest has been pretty well taken care of. They've got a few showers. The second crop corn is looking uh, pretty good in its growth and development. Uh, so central Brazil is still on a pretty good uh, clip when it comes to their crop weather at this point. All right. Any other key spots around the world we should be watching? The uh, scenario in, in uh, the Black Sea region, Mike, is still looking pretty favorable for their winter grains coming out of dormancy. There may be a few showers in uh, Ukraine and Russia. There are some drier areas, but uh, they're primarily east of the Volga Valley into what uh, years ago was uh, known as the New Lands region for uh, Russia grain production. Uh, so the real heart of their winter wheat area and uh, their, what, what now is their row crop country uh, are really looking pretty favorable at this point. Okay. As we wrap it up, we've talked a lot about precipitation. Let's touch a little more again on temperatures this coming week. Pretty mild? They are going to be mild, uh, not as warm as a week ago, but uh, we're going to be primarily seasonal over most of the country on temps. Uh, There could be some above-normal temperatures in the southeastern part of the country and then toward the Atlantic seaboard. But, uh, again, I'm not looking for just a real quick uh, turnaround to uh, real cold conditions either, and uh, that in itself is a saving grace. Uh, We're not going to be having just a real bitter cold uh, round of uh, temperatures coming in. I guess you probably haven't looked at the numbers yet completely, but has this been a overall a more mild winter than a, than we've seen recently as far as temperatures? It certainly has been. Uh, you know, the January temperatures over most of the central part of the country uh, were anywhere from about 1 to 3 degrees Fahrenheit above normal, uh, which was a complete turnaround from a year ago, obviously, and um, that's been a a real uh, big change. February was maybe a little bit cooler, but uh, not uh, still a real bitter cold month. And then farther west, of course, uh, we know that California was very dry, uh, and uh, temperatures west of the Rockies were quite mild uh, for the season overall. So it's been a, a big temperature difference compared with last year. All right, Bryce, thanks for the update. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. Have a good one. Take care. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. His thoughts on the administration's response to the 
Tenth Circuit Court ruling on small refinery exemptions to the RFS and what's the government doing and what might it do in the future to address the coronavirus outbreak. We'll talk with Senator Grassley next on AOA. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain and oil seed sector and livestock futures all defensive to begin the trading week. Private exporters reporting to USDA sales of 123,500 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to unknown destinations. May soybeans fell for a second session in a row on Friday. Last week's selling marking a clear rejection of resistance at 9, 10 and a quarter, the high from February 21st. Brazilian farmers had finished harvest work on 50% of the estimated planted area as of March 5th. That according to private consultant Ag Rural. May corn falling for the second session in a row on Friday. The market retracing about half the rally off the February 28th low at 365 and three quarters. Bulls and bears fighting for short-term trend control. The market closing near the 10-day moving average on Friday. An hour into this Monday session, May corn down a nickel at 370 and three quarters. December down five and a half at 376. Soybeans May down 21 and three quarters, 869 and a half. November 886 down 19 and a half. Chicago wheat may down seven at 508 and three quarters. Kansas City may down nine at 437. Minneapolis spring wheat may down eight at 517 and a quarter. We saw limit losses in early livestock activity for live cattle and in feeder cattle. We've bounced off the worst levels of the session, but still April live cattle down $1.52 at 10430. April feeder cattle 127.72 down $2.32. April lean hogs down a dollar twenty-five at sixty-four sixty-seven. The Dow down one thousand four hundred forty-five points. April crude oil down six dollars and seventy-six cents a barrel. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Senator, always appreciate your time. Thank you for being with us. Yes, I'm glad to be with you. Thank you very much as well. Let's talk about the coronavirus situation, the government response so far, what has been done. Uh, What are your thoughts on that, and what action might we expect in the future, you think? Well, from the briefings I've had, I've probably gone to three out of the last four briefings we've had, and we have another one this week. Uh, If you just listen to the health agency heads, and mostly Dr. Faust of NIH, uh, I think you'd have confidence that our government's under control. And I think the political people think so as well. In other words, they're willing to follow the health people. If they would keep their mouth shut, I don't think there would be any doubts. By uh, I don't mean just the, the president and vice president or cabinet people. I just mean anybody that's in politics. If we just let the health people uh, give the people of the United States the updates, I don't think there'd be much uh, doubt. I think personally that's being handled very well. 
But I have this caveat, the same one that Dr. Fauci would have. He says, I can tell you today there's little risk, but tomorrow I might tell you something else because this thing is so new and it's, uh, and it's, uh, uh, the confidence you build is that it's a little less of a problem in China than it was a month ago, but it's more of a problem in Italy and other countries. Not much of a problem in the United States, but tomorrow it could be a problem. So it's moving. It's a moving target, and you just can't draw any concrete conclusions except the confidence that we have in our health people that are directing it. The money that Congress did approve to fight it, that whole process became somewhat politicized. Do you expect any more funding from Congress moving forward, or do you just not know at this point? Well, right now, the $8 billion is considered more than than enough because some of the authority to spend this is going on over... Uh, in other words, it's authorized to spend this money over several years, not just the rest of this fiscal year. And uh, by the way, it started out to be political, but in the end, it was very non-controversial. Passing the House with only three or four dissenting votes, and I think in the Senate only one dissenting vote. So I think the politics is out of the uh, appropriation bill. Are you confident that the money will be targeted in the right areas to get the most uh, return on that money? Okay, everybody that was involved in the Senate and House and the White House that put this money together are relying upon the needs expressed by the agencies uh, that were covered by the bill. Most of them, every agency that had anything to do with health, directly or indirectly. And and they're saying the answer is yes. Okay. We're talking with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. I want to go to another topic, and that is the administration's response to the Tenth Circuit court ruling on small refinery exemptions. It was thought, and we were kind of led to believe by comments from Secretary Perdue, that uh, this might become the model, the blueprint used by EPA moving forward on granting these exemptions, and he said there would be significantly fewer uh, exemptions granted in the future. But then, late last week, we started getting word that the administration might actually appeal that ruling, and now we've learned they've asked for a delay to have more time to look at it. How concerned are you about what the administration is going to do on the small refinery exemptions? Well, as of last Wednesday or Thursday, very, very concerned. I thought that something that was working out perfectly to help the the farmers, the biodiesel industry, as well as helping the president politically. And when I say helping the president politically, it's not that I have any doubt about where the president stands on ethanol, uh, being very favorable to it and wanting to help the farmers in the ethanol industry, but then reflecting on the regulation that was written by the EPA, I always have to worry about the EPA undercutting the president 
a position and hurting the president politically. Now, common sense doesn't dictate that the EPA ought to be doing it, and they would tell you otherwise. But all I can go by is what their actions are. I see it as undercutting the president's decision of September the 12th when I met with him in his office and I came away very satisfied that he was going to uh, give us what we needed uh, to keep the ethanol industry very strong and the price of corn uh, very high. Uh, So I saw the Tenth Circuit Court of Opinion as backing up what the president told us and uh, and basically saying that EPA isn't doing what the law requires and that they would have to do it. So then the appeal started, the talk of it started last week, and I was offended by it. So I like to talk to the president by handwritten notes. So I sent him a handwritten note, uh, and I'll tell you what that said in just a minute. But I called Barr, the attorney general who's going to be in charge of any appeal. And I told him exactly what I told the president in the handwritten note. And then I talked Larry Kudlow, the president's economic advisor, and told him exactly the same thing. And this is what I basically said in all three messages. We've been told over the Obama administration and the Trump administration that uh, they had to give more waivers because there was a court decision saying so. So then they get a another court decision that said they had done more than the law allowed and they should stop doing it. So doesn't that back up the doubts that farmers and the and the ethanol industry had because we thought that EPA was undercutting the president? So the court backs the president, and then the president is getting pressure from the small refineries saying we need some help, and so the president's always been concerned about that, but now the president could say to the small refineries, we haven't been following the law, and we've got to follow the law, so isn't it a pretty common sense thing that the court has taken care of all the problems that the president has, and uh, just leave it alone. So then, consequently, uh, you know, I was offended by the attempts to have the appeal uh, uh, the the appeal made. So then, uh, I don't know whether my letter or phone calls or anybody else's phone calls made any difference, but it's at least a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel that they're going to put off for a couple weeks. So maybe they're rethinking what we told them. But how do you know in this business? Uh, if, if you convince the president of anything and he uh, did it because you said so, he's not going to let you know anyway. So I don't know where we are, but I'm satisfied that maybe we got some time to work on it. Well, you said, uh, you know, EPA undercutting the president on this. Uh, the president doesn't strike me as someone that, allows that to go on i'm surprised he hasn't just stepped in and and said enough's enough epa this is what i want do it you know what i would agree with you that it's that common sense approach that ought to solve this problem but then i got to look at the president uh he's got uh 
25 cabinet people under him. Uh, he's, uh, he's got uh, two and one-tenth million people working in his administration outside of the Defense Department. I guess I have to give him a little leeway. I can't expect him to be on top of everything that's going on in his administration. But I would expect Wheeler, appointed by the president, committed to carrying out the president's policies, wouldn't be doing anything to undercut the president. But I'm not I'm always skeptical about that. So you look at this uh, delay they're seeking, perhaps you're looking at it on the positive side that maybe that'll give them time to to uh to rethink this and hopefully eventually decide not to appeal. That's my hope. And uh particularly the messages I got in my communications last week was uh, in a sense, Senator Grassley, a decision's already been made. And you don't have to worry about uh, the president doing what he was doing because he promised you on September the 11th, uh, 12th, whenever it was, uh, that uh, he was going to make sure you got the 15 billion gallons the law requires. So don't worry about it. But that doesn't satisfy me. So that's why I'm happy that we have heard about this delay now. All right. Senator, thank you for your time. We'll see what happens with that and these other issues. Thank you for your perspectives. We always appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. God bless you. Goodbye. All right. Take care. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. All right. Up next, we're going to talk with the Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. A look at how the coronavirus is impacting trade with China and the ripple effect throughout the global economy. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams well we continue to watch this coronavirus uh, situation as it continues to spread and we're seeing more and more of the ripple effect throughout global economies joining us now is jake parker senior vice president for the u.s china business council jake thank you for joining us what are you hearing out of China as far as uh, where they're at in trying to get it under control? Well, what we hear from the Chinese government is that they feel that the containment of the coronavirus spread is beginning to get under control. We had a conversation <clears throat> with one of the vice ministers of commerce just last week where he indicated that there were about 10 new cases overnight in one of the cities uh, where many operate, where many of our companies operate. So I think they're feeling comfortable that, that it's getting under control. However, that's taking into account that few companies are back to full 100% production capacity. So as a result, as people begin going back to work, I think there's an outstanding question on how coronavirus will spread. Yeah, let's talk about the impact on 
we'll talk about the impact on the U.S. economy in just a moment. But what are we seeing in China? We hear about people not going out to eat, uh, people not going to work. Uh, ships can't be unloaded because there aren't the dock workers. What can you tell us about what's happening there? Sure. I think that there's four key considerations in the impact that, that's being felt by U.S. companies that are operating there, the, the primary factors of our membership. The first is, as you mentioned, consumption is way down in the China market. The plurality of our member companies are manufacturing in China to serve the local market. So when people are not outside buying and, and consuming, that obviously has an impact. If you're a movie company and nobody's going to the movies, that has an impact on your operations. Secondly, we are seeing some challenges in the supply chains. Uh, because of the quarantines between provinces, many truck drivers that are going from one area to another have been quarantined at local borders. That obviously has, a, a, has strained some supply chains, particularly for that just-in-time logistics of things like automotive manufacturing. Third, labor shortages continue to be a persistent problem in the China market. For anyone who returns to a major city in China, there's a requirement of a 14-day quarantine before you can return to work. Obviously, if you're in Hubei or Hangzhou, you're not allowed to return to a city because of the provincial-wide quarantines that are in place there. So we're hearing from our member companies that they don't have the qualified labor to continue and restart their manufacturing operations to the same production capacity that they would have had in the past. And obviously, the, the spread of the coronavirus internationally may have an impact on demand for Chinese production and exports going forward, too. All right, so we're seeing the impact now here in the U.S., events being canceled, uh, schools being closed. We're seeing the impact on the airlines and a lot of different uh, industries. Uh, there's also the impact of products that would normally be coming from China to the U.S. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. So when we, when we talk to our big box retail members who do a proportion of their sourcing in the China market, what they tell us is, number one, they've made a concerted effort over the last several years to ensure that the, the as much of the product as they can source from the United States, they are sourcing from the United States. So one of the largest retailers in America today sources 50% from the U.S. and about 30% from China. So the exposure is not nearly as high as some people think. Uh, however, what we do hear is that on sourcing timelines, most of these retailers source about three months in advance. So they would have either inventory or products on the ocean um, about three months out. However, it becomes more problematic beginning in May when the back-to-school orders begin to tick up. The month after in June is when Christmas orders begin to begin. And that's going to obviously have an impact if the coronavirus production capacity output remains low as we move forward into these later months. But at least at present, what we're hearing from our manufacturers is that they're feeling fairly confident about the stability of their supply chains for the U.S. For now, but as you said, those timelines are out there, Those, and we just don't know. There's so much, there's so much uncertainty about the coronavirus, and now you add on to that the, uh, the plunge in oil prices and what's happening with that market. Um, it's kind of a double whammy now. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And I, there's certainly a lot of uncertainty in the markets, but the markets don't necessarily represent the reality on the ground with business. They represent the sentiment of, of traders. And there's obviously a mix there, but we have to keep that in mind, I think, as we as we move forward as well. Now, beyond, uh, obviously, the number one concern is human health. But as we look at other issues like trade, and there were a lot of questions already about China fulfilling its commitments under the phase one trade deal, this obviously has delayed things even more. Uh, again, not knowing when this virus will be under control, but how do you see this, if it is 
in a somewhat uh, timely manner, hopefully it's sooner than later, uh, under control. How do you see then the recovery from this moving forward as far as trade with China? So we we keep a fairly close eye on the implementation of the Phase One Agreement between the U.S. and China. And as you know, and your members, or as your listeners certainly know, China is committed to import no less than 200 billion of U.S. goods and services on top of the 2017 levels over the next two years. Uh, we were very interested to see that in the first week of implementation, the week that ended February 20th, uh, Beijing uh, for, uh, acquired a significant amount of agricultural products, 7,200 tons of pork. 119,000 tons of sorghum, 71,000 tons of soybeans, bales of cotton, cattle hides. So at least it appears that even during a time when domestic consumption is down, there's still a strong interest from the Chinese government to be perceived that they are implementing on their commitments. And while these numbers outside of sorghum are largely in line with previous year purchase numbers, uh, they are an encouraging sign that even as it grapples with its own domestic coronavirus challenges, it's making efforts to try and implement on the phase one agreement. Now, there's obviously many other aspects of that around intellectual property rights protection, around financial services liberalization. One of the key inflection points on the horizon is April 1st, when many of these will go into effect, and we'll have to wait and see how how those come, come out. But at least as it is to date, we're seeing pretty good implementation. All right, Jake, thanks for the update. Still a lot of questions. We'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you. Jake Parker, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. We apologize, had a little bit of a warble in his uh, in the phone line there, but hopefully you're able to hear him okay as uh, we continue to monitor this situation with uh, the coronavirus, the oil market, and the ongoing situation on the RFS as well. We'll have much more on these topics coming up on tomorrow's show. Hope you'll join us. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for being with us on AOA. AOA.